like to welcome you here tonight. If you're on uh, electronics, Facebook, whatever, you're welcome to be with us for a while. Good to see all of you. I've been playing nurse to my wife. She's been sick since Sunday night. She got sick. But uh, took her today. Had a COVID test. At a, uh, can you hear okay, Bob? Can you hear me? What's wrong, Wayne? Huh? Can you hear me now? Celia can't hear you yet. Is that better? Okay. And I was going to tell you, Linda's COVID and uh, flu tests were negative, so she's got some kind of bug. Jeff Anderson said the schools and a whole bunch of people got this bug, so it could be a lot worse. I could have it. <laughs> no, uh, I hate that she's sick, but Anyway, uh, Randy asked me to fill in for him tonight, and I said, I'd be glad to, but can I take up a collection? And he said, well, if you want to. <laughs> so if you're prepared to give, to... <laughs> no, just teasing. <laughs> just for a few minutes, I'd like to share some things with you, and this week I've been studying about the, the two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. I'd like to talk about that just for a few minutes, and then if you have some things that you want to add at the end, well, feel free to do that. In, in Genesis uh, 12, chapter, verses, first three verses, it says, And now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessed a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We know the story of Abram. That was his name in the beginning. Then God changed it to Abraham. And he gave him two sons in his old age, Ishmael and Isaac. Of course, Ishmael wasn't the covenant, but Isaac was the one to carry out the covenant. And he moved him out of his land told him to move to another land away from his people. That had been a difficult thing, wouldn't it? God just said, I want you to move from here to California and just go right now. But Abram was obedient to God and, and he uh, obeyed him. Now, down through the ages, the children of Israel uh, multiplied and uh, got down to uh, Jacob. You remember the story about Jacob? He had sons and had uh, Joseph. And Joseph ended up being the second uh, in charge of Egypt. There was a great famine happened there in the land where they were. So they had to end up moving from there to Egypt. And then they stayed in Egypt for years and years and, and uh, replenished the land. And then Pharaoh said, there's too many of these Israelites. They're going to be a danger to us. We're going to have to do something about them. Can't let them keep multiplying and be, they'll be in charge one of these days. So he feared that was going to happen. So what did he do to them? Enslaved them. They were made slaves for 400 years. They were in slavery. And harsh treatment. The Egyptians were harsh uh, taskmasters. But God heard their call, crying out for help. And he raised up a man named Moses. 
We know the story about Moses. Moses was out tending his, his father-in-law's sheep, come upon a bush that was burning and didn't burn up. And God called him out of that bush, said, you're going to deliver my people. And I think that Moses probably, for years, might have prayed, God, raise up somebody to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Please raise up somebody. And God said, you're going to do it. Oh, oh me, <laughs> not me. <laughs> so he protested some, we know the story. But he ended up going to Egypt and he and his brother Aaron and eventually leading the children out of Egypt. And they came, uh, toward the, went toward the promised land and we know the story, they refused to go in and they stayed in the wilderness 40 years. But God took care of them all through that. God was with them. And they had no need of anything. God supplied all their needs. But this, in the, in the, they did the sacrificial system. You know, in Leviticus, Leviticus, it talks about how they brought lambs or animals to sacrifice for their sins. Came to the priest, and the priest would make atonement for their sins. And that went on for several, several years. And then uh, we know that that sacrificial system wasn't a good system. I'm going to read a little about that. We're going over to Hebrews 10 if you want to follow me. <clears throat> Hebrews 10 one says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices, year by year, which they offer continually, make the perfect those who draw near. Now the sacrifices, year by year, they did it over and over, bring a, a lamb or some animal, had to be perfect condition to, to be sacrificed. And the priest would help them, but before the priest could uh, help the people, he had atoned for his own sin. And then he would help them atone. And Remember the tabernacle had the Holy of Holies in the back of it? And only the priest could go in there once a year. And before he went in, he had to cleanse himself. But it says, this, these sacrifices could never uh, be satisfactory to, to cleanse anyone. It says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciences of sin. So if the it really was beneficial one time, their first their one time offering would have done it. Then they would have to not worry about the guilt of sin. But it didn't work like that. It kept continually over and over. So but in those sacrifices there was a, there is a reminder of sins year by year. They when they thought of that, they were reminded of their guilt and their sin. So for it is impossible for the bulls blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Uh, you know, the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, no forgiveness. And sin is so terrible that the only remedy of that, it costs some, some life to remedy it. That's why the shedding of blood had to be, it caught, that's the seriousness of sin. And then the uh, first five says, therefore, it changes the gears here just a little bit. It says, therefore... When he comes into the world, he says, and he's talking about our Messiah, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. 
in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And we're talking about our Messiah. God sent him to atone for our sin. And he talks about God, Jesus being in God's will. Not any time in his life, not one single minute, was he ever out of God's will. Isn't that amazing? And it's like us, we're, most of the time we're in God's permissive will than his direct will. We, we probably live in the permissive will more than we do the direct will. But Jesus never was out of the, his will. And after seeing above, above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. You know, the Mosaic law, God took Moses up on the Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments. And he brought them down and gave them to the people and had, you know, the story. They were worshiping a calf and Moses broke the commandments and went back up and had to have another one done. But the Ten Commandments, God gave the Ten Commandments to the people to live by. And he wanted order in their lives. And that's what the commandments were about, order. And Paul says the commandments were given to us as a schoolmaster to show us where we failed, that we would be, show us that we are sinners. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Talking about the covenant, the first covenant. He's going to do away with the first covenant and establish the second covenant, the Messianic, Messianic covenant. It said, by this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now he was the ultimate sacrifice. Perfect, without blemish, without sin. And no animal, no matter how perfect it was, could atone for man's sin. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. None could come anywhere close to him. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which never can take away the sins. It was an endless time. The priest spent hours and hours a day, year in, year out, offering sin offerings for the people. And it just continued on and on. But yet it didn't cleanse the people of their sin. But he having offered one sacrifice for all sins, for all time, sat down at the right hand of God when Jesus was offered as a sacrifice, that was it. There wasn't another sacrifice to be made. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And when he gave his life on Calvary, shed his blood there, and when he was ready to uh, give it up, he said, it is finished. And he said, it is finished. That was God's plan, the whole plan God had from the foundations of the world, that it, it, would, it would be finished, and it was finished. And waiting for that time onward until his enemies made a footstool for his feet. And the scripture says Christ is going to come back one of these days and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. And that's going to happen. I was sharing with a man one time and I told him that and he said, he said, I'll never bow to no man. He said, all my life I've I'm a self-made man. Everything I've done, I've done myself. And I'll bow to no man. And I thought, oh, buddy, 
There will be a time coming that you, you, you eat those words. For by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. And we are, when we're saved by the grace of God, we're sanctified and justified. And it's just as if we'd never sinned. And my good friend Paul Williams, my late good friend, he would always say, oh, it seems too good to be true. But I know it's true. I know it's true. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit always bears witness to us after that saying. How does the Holy Spirit bear witness to us? Well, the witnessing of the Spirit. Have you ever talked to anybody and, and you get into the conversation with them about the Lord and you can just, you just know. You just have that sensation that they're a child of God and they know that you're a child of God. That's the witnessing of the Spirit. We have that. Isn't that wonderful what we can tell? You know, several years ago, I had a physical nostril. And I went in for half of the physical. Then they took me in a room to see me until I could go for x-ray and blood work. And this woman brought this man in with her, and they set, she set him down. He was an old gentleman. And she said, Dad, I'll be right back. You just sit here for a minute. So I spoke to him. He spoke to me. And I never said anything else to him. And he, he said something like, about the weather and uh, I said mentioned I don't remember what I said to him just cordial stuff and he looked at me and he said sir I discern the Lord Jesus Christ living in you I could have dropped over I had not said anything about being a Christian anything spiritual but he said that to me and that had to be God's spirit witnessing to him that I was a Christian. I've never had an experience like that ever or then or never before. It was just uh, grasping and grasping me. <clears throat> Verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their hearts and upon their mind. I will write them. We have the law, of course, the Ten Commandments, but Christ came and fulfilled that law. He brought the law of faith in, and we have that written on our hearts. We know what uh, it is to be saved, to be uh, born-again people, children of the Father. And he then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And that's a wonderful thing. The sin in your life and my life has passed. It's been confessed. God never remembers anymore. I can remember it. Sometimes I remember a lot of it. But God doesn't. Now he can. He could, he could remember. He's God. But he chooses not to remember. Isn't that something? That just Another thing like Paul Williams says, it just seems too good to be true. But we know it's true. It's God's word. It says, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no more longer any offering of sin. Once and for all, Christ saved us. And we don't have to go back and say, well, I saved, I've been saved again, and I've been saved three or four times. I had a man tell me that one time. He'd been saved three or four times. I said, well, that's okay, I guess, but I've been saved once and once and for all. And uh, we don't have to do it over and over. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, he says we have confidence to come to the throne of grace to, to talk to him. Not arrogantly by any means, but confidence that we're his children 
and that we've been cleansed by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. He's talking about the veil, the veil in the temple. You remember there's a big veil that's uh, split from top to bottom during the crucifixion. Nobody could go behind that veil. When Christ split that veil, he opened it up for us. <clears throat> and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A clear conscience. You know, sin brings uh, a guilt. Sin's guilt. But when we ex confess our sins and get forgiveness, Christ removes the guilt. We don't have to suffer the guilt anymore. Now think of how wonderful it is when God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and they were to stay there and have a wonderful life together. And we know what happened. They sinned against God. He put them out of the garden. And that sin followed us today. Every generation was guilty of that sin from Adam and Eve. It came right on down to us. We were, we were guilty. And what a predicament we were in. And just think how good God was to not let us stay in that predicament. He made a way for us to be free from that predicament, be cleansed from sin. Because he says, for all have sinned and come short of God's glory. Takes care of everybody. I know Jim Gregory and I visited a lady not long ago and we talked about everybody being sinners. And she said, I've not sinned. And I said, you've not sinned at all in your life? She said, no. I said, well, you were probably the first person I ever met like that. <laughs> I said, can I share some things with you? And she said, yes. Yeah. So I shared some scripture. And, and when I asked her again, I said, do you think compared to this scripture that you, you're a sinner? And she said, I, I think I am. <laughs> so she agreed God's word caused her to see her sinfulness. But Christ came loving and so precious to take the treatment he did for me and you and go and hang on a cruel cross. He didn't have to hang on that cross. He could have called legions of angels and destroyed the whole Roman Empire. But he did that. And it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for us. Amazing, isn't it? So he is worthy of all praise and worship that we can do more than we can worship. He is worthy, and we can't praise him enough. <clears throat> I'd like to turn over into Revelations for just a minute. Chapter 5, and the first 10 verses. And John's in the heavenly vision. He's seeing the heavenly vision. He's talking about the seals here. You know, there's a lot of seals that were opened in heaven and different plagues and things that came from those seals, but... He says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. I guess he talks about a book, but I imagine it was a scroll. They didn't have books like we do now, but this is in heaven. It's a vision. It could have been a book. He said, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And this says a strong angel. To wanted somebody that could open those uh, seals off those parchments. You think, well, wonder why that strong angel wasn't able to do it. 
says he was a strong angel. And God used angels to do a lot of his bidding. But then it said, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Not one person stepped up. He said, who's going to open, who's going to take these seals? Who's going to break these seals? No one. Can you imagine that? And then he said, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. No one. You would think maybe Tozer or Dwight L. Moody or some of the great preachers of the day, uh, Billy Graham, Randy Ellis, <laughs> could have been able to open those seals. No, no, nobody was able to see, open them. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So as to open the book and its seven seals, Jesus Christ was the only worthy one could do it. No one else. Isn't that amazing? And he is worthy. He is worthy. It says, And I saw between the throne with four living creatures and the elders of a lamb standing as if slain. It compared him to a lamb. Many times Jesus was compared to a lamb. This is lamb slain. <clears throat> Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Now it talks about the seven spirits of God. I, I don't know what that is exactly. But the, I know the, the term seven is a completeness in the book, in the Bible. So God's spirit, whatever it was, it was complete. And he sent out of all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down and before the lamb, having one harp, gold bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals for thou wast slain and didst purchase from God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and every people and nation and thou hast made them to be kingdom of priest to our God and they will reign upon the earth forever and that's what's going to happen in the end we're going to be like priests and reign forever with the Christ. It's going to be an amazing time in it. And as I see things developing in the world and the news and, and correlating it with God's word, it seems like time is drawing to a, to a close. I don't know. I can't say when it's going to happen. But there's a lot of people through the ages, you know, set the date. But it always didn't work. And I said, if anybody set the date, if it happened on that date, it was strictly an accident on their part. Because the Bible says no one knows. Uh, Jesus said not even the, he knew, only the Father in heaven knew. But the, the covenants that God made with man showed his great love for us. And he knew from the very beginning, he knew from the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve was, were going to fall. And I've had people say, well, why in the world did he do that? He knew they were going to fall, why did he put them in there? <laughs> I don't know. But he knew that. But as I said a while ago, he didn't leave us in our misery and sin. He made a way for us to escape. In Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. For your sin and my sin, we had a sentence of death hanging over us. Couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't save ourselves. But the second part of that verse says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
a gift of God. Not of works, unless any man should boast, it says Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And I've heard people say, well, I hope I've done enough good works to get to heaven. I said, no, you can't. No way. can't work your way. It's by God's grace and mercy and his love and righteousness. And it's wonderful to have a Savior like we have. It's done everything in the world for us. And when I tell people about the Savior, I say, God has done everything for you to save you, to give you a home in heaven. And you just need, you need to accept that, repent of your sins, and come to God. Some say, well, I just can't do it now, or I won't do it. Or they want to, don't want to hear it. That's sad, isn't it? 